Surviving Separation, a podcast to help you through the broad and complex issues around family, relationships and divorce. Brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Welcome to Surviving Separation. I'm Andrew Montessi and today we have a special guest. We've got Tim Dancy from Tim Dancy Psychology. Welcome, Tim. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And we've also got Wendy Barry, who is a partner and accredited specialist in family law. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks, Monty. Now, we're talking about this particularly tricky issue of psychology in family law. And Tim, you have an expertise in this area. Can you give us a bit of a picture initially about the psychological impact and emotional impact that divorce and separation can have on someone? Yeah, certainly. The thing I notice the most is a grief process. So when we look at the psychological side of things, um, it's the sense of a loss that a person experiences when they first divorce or even just move out of the house before the divorce proceedings have commenced. Because what happens is that as humans, I find we're so set in our ways and our routines and we like things to happen within a pattern. And as humans, we function so much better when that's the case. When people separate, all of a sudden that routine is completely broken and our bodies don't like it and it takes quite a while to readjust and that's the classic grief process. And then what I see happens is that people will go through through stages, the grief, grief stages and the first thing I notice is that the shock that it's all happened, often people will move into some denial, they'll think, oh no, it's okay, my partner will come back it'll be okay. But then what happens, people move into a stage of anger, blame and questions. And that's where the emotions really come to the forefront. And what we see is people then will not sleep well, their diets will change, they find work hard because they can't concentrate. Uh, We'll see mood swings, crying. You'll have people who just want to talk all the time. So the Everyone's different. You can't pigeonhole everyone as exactly the same, but typically they, they're the things that I notice the most. It's that grief process followed by those classic anger, blame and questions, and they go round and round. Mm. Yeah. And, Wendy, I imagine that you see this play out in, in a family law context. Yes, we do. Um, when people come through our door, um, they, they're at various stages. They... Some will be at the very beginning when they're just coming, you know, the, the, the concept of being separated has just been either dealt to them or by them, um, or they could be some years after the process of separation. And um, I find that depending on where they are in that process, their mental health is at differing stages. Mm. So, Tim, what's the difference if any, between men and women in this process? Well, it's, I guess we're going to go into stereotypes here, and that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's the best way to do it, I think. What I notice with women, um, what do I see? Women are much better at talking, and they will sit down and talk to friends and discuss what's happening with them. They'll open up, and, and the emotions will come out a lot more. I will often notice that some women like to really busy themselves and will get um, uh, particularly active in looking after children if there's children involved Um, but the the key thing I I see is women are quite happy to set up support networks for themselves whereas men tend to go the other way they will withdraw 
and uh, often just hold all their emotions in. Um, in good good scenarios are when men have got mates who can actually take them and have a chat to them and just make sure they're okay. So guys are a lot less likely to break the news that they've separated to their friends and families where women will be generally up front. Everyone's different again, mm. but that's what I tend to see. So based on that, would you say then that it's women who might respond better or, or faster, generally speaking? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I tend to think it's women who are more proactive in seeking counselling hmm. and um, trying to work out, right, what what do I now need to do? What's the next stage of my life look like? And I'm not sure, Wendy, is that the case? Is it more women who make the first approach? But that's what I tend to see in my profession it's the women who will come in first men down the track um i think generally i support that tim but in reality i see both yeah. men and women i see both of them completely devastated mm. Mm. um you know we we go through a tremendous number of tissues people cry openly mm. Mm. i have people who come through the door who are uh, men and women indiscriminately expressing uh, such sad sad things to me mm. and so whilst i think women uh, tend to communicate uh, more openly and yeah. more readily about it mm. i think uh, men are equally um shattered by the process yeah. as women are well i guess that's the nature of the profession isn't it when they're coming in to see you to make an appointment they're not here to talk about the football <laughs> are they right. at the end of the day um so they're generally here with a purpose i i sort of think what i find is that uh, with men it's just harder to get them going mm. Mm. but once you get them going yeah mm. then they'll certainly certainly open up so to perhaps build on that what are perhaps the common mistakes that people make from a mental health or a psych psychology perspective throughout yeah. this process? The, the thing I get worried about is that when people continue to hold in their anger mm, more than anything, yeah. and what I see happens is this goes back to this anger, blame and questions where people just don't start to address their anger or start to look for answers to the questions and as a result they don't sleep well and their life well their well-being suffers and then what we see is that people can start to show the signs of depression because they're not getting on with their life they're withdrawing so we get all these signs and symptoms so one of the mistakes I notice the most is actually people not seeking support hmm. um, and not then starting to work out ways that they can start to move forward. Now, for some people, that is unbelievably difficult given the circumstances. However, that's when I think it can go horribly wrong. And from an emotional point of view and a psychological point of view, we see people who are really struggling because mm. they just haven't got support and haven't looked at how they can start to move forward in their world. So you said a problem is people holding on to their anger. So do you mean in terms of... So a healthy way of dealing with your anger is talking about it. Oh, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And okay. looking at strategies to um, address your anger. You know, I'll give you an example. One of the things I will say to people is have what I call divorce time. And so that might be for half an hour every day you sit down and you write your notes, you address everything associated with your divorce. That's when you can express your anger, write it all down or get it out in some way 
away, whether it's go outside, go for a run, punching bag, whatever it might be, but get your anger out. So you've got mm. that half an hour, use that time. Then, okay, put it away. What's next? And have something to look forward to after you've done your anger time, whether that's catching up with some good people. However, by doing that, what you're doing is you're starting to address it. Mm. And, and you use that time where you might ring your lawyers or write letters or whatever you need to do, but it doesn't take over your life. Mm. And that's probably one of the biggest mistakes going back, that people will let it take over their life. Mm. Mm. And what about some other tips for coping, if you have them? Well, oh, look, I, my history is a PE teacher, so mm. exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Always recommend exercise is one of the priorities. Get active, be out walking, because when you're struggling, we don't have the endorphins flowing through the body. So I think to go out and do some exercise really helps. So that's the first thing I'd always say. Second thing is surround yourself with positive people. Now that can be challenging because you might have someone who's saying how much they dislike your ex-partner um, and all you hear is negatives. But what I encourage is for people to find positive influences, people who make you smile, make you laugh. So when you walk away from him, you go, geez, that was good. Mm. Because I'm sure you know everybody has friends who I call the dementors and they just suck the life out of you. You don't want to be spending time with those types of people because you come away feeling worse. What are some signs that there are those type of people around you? Oh, you just feel exhausted afterwards. Mm. And it's the classic one where it might be that uh, you're feeling a bit flat because you've, you're in the process of a divorce and you go and spend time with, time with someone and all they want to talk about is their divorce mm. and how bad it was for them and all the difficulties they had. And yeah, and at that point, that's probably not what you want. Mm. You'd much rather spend time with someone who cares about you and your well-being and you as a person mm. and planning ahead and fun things for you. Yeah. Wendy, do you see that as well? The, um, I guess the impact of the outside influence? We've always got the armchair expert factor to deal with. <laughs> you know, someone will come in to, for advice from us and uh, what I find is we're often trying to temper the effect of the advice from some well-meaning friend who's gone through the process mm. and, frankly, who knows absolutely how the thing should pan out. And sometimes that's very unhelpful, mm. unhelpful advice comes mm. probably from a very good base but mm. it's very unhelpful and difficult to turn around once it's in someone's mind and someone who is is vulnerable they're mm. very readily susceptible to advice from any source mm. so they should come and get it mm. where it's reliable yeah and i think that's a really good point because some of the examples i've seen are where people have just fought over minor things which in the grand scheme of things it's just wasting a lot of energy. Mm. And I don't know that common sense approach, if you can find common sense in a divorce, but I just think sometimes one of the big mistakes is people lose sense of perspective mm. on what is important against, no, I just want to make a point mm. and do something in spite. I don't know if that common. I'd like to add to that because I find that mental ill health impacts enormously on the process that we try to take people through. Mm. And so it'll have negative effects like it'll um, um, make things more emotionally charged. Mm. It'll make it impossible for people to focus on the issues at hand. For example, the arguments about the things that don't matter no. get in the way. 
consequence of that is a matter becomes drawn out it becomes more expensive as a mm. consequence and that's not just a financial cost it's emotional cost it's a cost to children it's a it's a it's a huge cost mm. it's a cost to your relationship ongoing for children mm. you have to parent for the next x number of decades mm. um so the the Mental ill health is a, a, a tremendous um, barrier to progress in a mm. family law matter. Mm. The other thing it does is mental health, ill health can be so significant that it gets to the point that it affects a person's, and this is a technical term, we call it capacity, and that's mm. someone's ability to actually um, instruct you and understand the consequences of the decisions and instructions they're um, making and giving. Um, and the, the, the threat and risk of all of that is where people give decisions that are without capacity, yeah. it puts at risk any agreement that's reached mm. and makes it vulnerable to be set aside. So mm. it's actually not helpful at all no. for mental health to be um, something that's not addressed mm. as part of the process. Yeah, and I think if you go back, that's where we talk about the mistakes people make and I think not having good support around you because I can see the scenario where you'd have a family member who has your interests and a bias comes through where it's actually just to have someone who can be rational and talk to you and support you but still be rational mm. and that that's probably one of the big factors i would have thought is people not having that support mm. makes it hard it seems to me that getting mental health support is is actually an investment in yourself throughout this process personally mm. and financially and for the whole running of um, the divorce and property settlement process. Mm. Tim, how would you look at building someone a mental health plan um, if they came to you pretty early on in this process? Yeah, well, I'd be going back through the important things you can do to look after yourself. Yeah, so I'd go back through, you know, what sort of exercise you're doing, what's your work scenario, mm -hmm. how you're coping with work, what are your, who are your friends, who are your support networks, what does your weekend look like? Mm. So that would be one of the first things. Yeah. But then I'd also be wanting to help a person understand the best way to communicate with their ex. So that way we can try and open the lines of communication yeah. and to try and move things forward to get the best possible outcome for everyone. Well, that's a really good point. What are some of your tips for communication? Well, one of the first things I'll often say is meet in a neutral place at a starting point. Okay. And often I'll say a great place to meet is at a coffee shop or in a public place. Hmm. So that way you can have communication and it's less likely, not always, but <laughs> less likely to get out of control. So that would be one of the first things I'd always say. Mm. Next thing is that, you know, that old classic one, don't ever send the email before you've given yourself 12 hours or 24 <laughs> hours to read it. But that sort of process as well. And if necessary, have someone look at your communication mm. before you flick it off, you know, to be able to check, is it rational? Is it reasonable what we're saying here? So... They're probably two points. But the other thing is to actually understand that you do have to communicate. Mm. As, as Wendy said, if we have children involved, you have to communicate. You cannot avoid it. And for the benefit of your own personal well-being and for your children, you need to understand, right, we've got to look at ways to do that. But that's, mm. that's where we have to work through anger. Mm. 
and that, that's hard. We'll be back to this discussion in just a moment. It's at distressing times like when a relationship breaks down that a caring approach and personalised service really count. That's what TGB's team of accredited family law specialists and experienced family lawyers is all about. TGB's family lawyers are recognised across Australia, with the largest team in South Australia and expanding across Western Australia and the Northern Territory. If you need advice for separation, divorce, property settlement or a children's issue, contact TGB. Visit tgb.com.au to arrange an appointment at your nearest office. What about, to maybe even go back further, but what are some preventative measures that people can put in place uh, in terms of, I don't know if there's a way... To not get divorced? Well, I'd well say, no, that, that's a whole other uh, podcast say, in itself, I would have thought. Oh, that's easy. Just, just marry well. <laughs> but even, I guess, um, building up your mental health strength in a, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm a big believer in caring for yourself. You know, I, I'm sure Wendy probably in the firm here would understand that, that people function well when you're looking after yourself. Mm. And that's being being able to identify when you're not travelling that well and then taking the steps to make changes. And that's doing things like hanging out with good people, your exercise, a bit of mindfulness, making sure you're sleeping well, eating well, just those little things mm. that you've got to do. I, I'm also a big one. Um, I'll often talk about just a few little things that make people happy that you can do. And one of the things I find is give. So that's do things for others without asking. Those little charity things that you do help. And another one is take notice. So to actually just stop and smell the roses and to walk outside and go, yeah, it's not a bad day. Mm. Even though you know, there's some tough stuff going on, to actually be able to stop and go, yeah, it's a nice day. Mm. Those little things I think help. Mm. But we've got to practice them. Okay. Hmm. What do you mean practice them? Well, make sure you do them because it's just so easy to get through a day and go, oh, it's all too hard. I don't hmm. have time. My world's too busy. I've got so much going on. So forming habits, Oh, I guess. absolutely. Yeah, you know, there's a million books on self-help, but I just think you can practice a few little things daily and that's just so simple of um, making sure you communicate well with people who you, you are actively seeing through work or friendships. Yeah, and... and giving yourself things to look forward to as well. Wendy, how common is, would you say, that mental health is a factor in family law? I think it's fair to say that almost everybody who is going through a family law matter has some some impact on their mental health because whether you're the one who initiated it or not, there are inevitably emotional challenges that will affect your mental health to a varying degree. Separation is one of the toughest things a person can go through and survive. Um, and so for me, I'm seeing evidence of it on a daily basis, people coming in to uh, get help and they're, they're expressing uh, sad feelings um, they sometimes they're talking about self-harm or harming others uh, sometimes they're um, getting into um, negative patterns like gambling and um, and it, it, there's there's the, the common thread is that there's something challenging their emotional well-being and it's so important that 
um, help is got mm. to, to take that as a factor out of the process mm. so that the process can go more smoothly mm. and there can be less collateral damage along the way to the children, to the finances, to everything. Mm. Well, I think on that, one of the points I haven't raised is that it's very important for all of us to have a good relationship with our GP mm. so that when we do experience a, a separation that there is someone you know you can go and talk to when you're not feeling well who will be able to guide you and direct you to the best possible help. Mm. So I'm a big big believer in you've got to have a good relationship with your GP mm. and um, that's probably a, a great thing for TGB as well to, to know your GPs. Yeah, well, well on that, I, think, I guess a, a common thread throughout our podcast series so far has been about a, um, a person's ability to build a network yeah. um, uh, and that's not just a, a friendship network or, or that sort of practical support network but professionals Wendy at what point would you bring a psychologist into the mix particularly when, when you've said that mental health is pretty much impacts everyone that you're talking to I think a psychologist can come into the mix at the very beginning, uh, in the middle, at the end, there's always a place for a person who can direct negative thoughts and um, emotional issues in a positive way. Um, I'd like to add to something you said earlier, and it, it goes somewhere towards answering the question you've just uh, asked me. Um, you said uh, people are learning uh, new things about themselves, mm. and um, my experience, which is common with, with I'd say almost 100% of my clients, is that separation brings with it a need to learn to live in a new way and mm. to um, cope with loneliness and loss, uh, a need to deal with the practicalities of being solely responsible for things that were previously shared. Mm. And so... Um, whether that affects you to the point that you're debilitated by it or whether you're just challenged by it, I think there's room for a psychologist at mm. any point mm. of that continuum. Mm. Yeah, because actually one of the emotions we didn't talk about was fear. Yes. Mm. And, and you think about what you just said about people having to learn to do things by themselves and that creates fear. You know, I think the classic example, if you've the person's been in a relationship where their partner's managed all of the financial aspects and all of a sudden you've got all of these things that you now have to do which you've got no idea on how to do. Mm. Or there's been information hidden. There's just so many things that create fear. Mm. And, and I think that's where, yep, you're bringing people to help you work through it. But I think the lawyers do a wonderful job mm. at that because you've experienced all that before so you know what potentially is ahead of the client. So it's working in conjunction is the most important thing. Mm. Yes, I think because lawyers recognise um, whilst our clients come through the door looking to us to be quasi-counsellors and mm. psychologists, we just say. can't be. <laughs> and so it's important for us to recognise mm. and to continually be on the alert to, to see when clients need recommendations mm. to psychologists. Mm. Yeah, and that was something um, I, I should say that I had have done recently, I came up and spoke to the family law team here mm. about some of the signs and symptoms and how they can help people when they first meet them and also then how to guide them and direct them mm. to get more support too. That was fantastic. Well, on that, what if I am a part of a person support network? Yes. How do I be a good listener? How do I be a good supporter? It's quite hard because 
Yeah, a lot depends on the person you're with. Uh, my own experience, I remember a close friend and he would talk non-stop um, about the process when realistically, after a while, you'd actually just want to talk to the your friend. Mm. Yeah, and so that's one of the key, key things is knowing how to redirect conversations with your friend, um, how to make sure they are seeking support. It's inviting them to do things, just checking up on them. Mm. Yeah, and getting them out into new experiences, yeah, this, and taking them to events and sport and social occasions. But also, I think one of the things we, we can also do as good friends is be mindful there will be some tough experiences ahead. So I look at the classic scenario where we have children and then we have parents who have separated and they have to go to functions mm. together. And so as friends, what we can do is make sure that they're protected through those experiences. So mm. talk to them, find out what's about to happen. Right, let's put plans into place to protect you. So that way you don't get cornered or you don't feel overwhelmed. We might have graceful exit lines in place so that if a person is feeling comfortable, they can leave. Yeah, these are the sorts of things friends do mm. to get, get them through. Can I add to that, that in a, a legal sense, friends can fill a very important role. My my experience has been that when people are uh, suffering with emotional challenges, they can't hear as mm. well. Mm. And so if they bring a, a friend who can note what, yeah. I, what I'm saying and the advice I'm giving, mm. they can then digest it with the help of their friend's notes after yeah. the appointment. Um, mm. I find mental health is a barrier to listening and understanding. Oh, definitely. And that's where I think you don't want to bring in a family member who may have the bias and only write down what that's they want right. to hear. I sort of use the term a lot, voice of reason, to find that person who's a voice of reason. Mm. And we call them, uh, don't bring in the barrackers. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the barrackers are not so yeah. helpful. Yeah, there's a place for them, but not when we need to have... Objectivity. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. We touched on it earlier, but um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on the challenges of adjusting to the new life. So we've spoken, mm. obviously, a fair mm. bit about the mental health challenges of going through the process, but mm. I'd imagine there's gaping holes in a person's life in many areas oh, yeah. when they start again. Yes. And I'll give you an example. When we have friendships that have been split in half, so straight away, the mm. person may have lost 75, 50%, 25% of their friendship groups. So just adjusting to the fact that you might be going somewhere and people don't want to talk to you all of a sudden or their attitude towards you has changed. So that's, that's one of the difficulties, um, spending time alone. And I find that can be quite dangerous. And I notice with men, this is where alcohol can be a factor. So that's always something to bear in mind is how do we minimise time alone or how can we use the time alone in a productive way mm. and that, that's where finding new projects, I, I see that as one of the hardest adjustments and you know what, probably one of the toughest ones of all is learning how to say or answer the question oh, how's your missus or wife or name of the person and to be able to say look, we're actually separated mm. just learning to be able to say that to people and, and, and to be able to 
cope with their reaction and know what to say next. And one of the things I do say is I encourage people to write a script so that to be able to say, oh, look, we separated three weeks ago. Um, we're just working through things now. It's been pretty hard, but I'm hoping to start moving forward in the near future. Hmm. How are you going? Okay. Yeah. And that that's really hard. Yeah. Because that not being able to do that can prevent. And that's when people will withdraw from events or communication because they just don't know what to say. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Is it also, I think, I mean, you just touched on something similar, but is it about replacing the gaps in your life to some extent? Because I, I have heard different things when people talk about fitness and trying to eat healthier, that mm. if you're trying to cut something out of your diet, it's, it's more productive to replace it with something healthy, all of those oh. sort of things. It's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Because I'm all for doing things that are positive. Yeah. Absolutely. If you can find something positive, but I don't think you want to set yourself up for failure. Mm. So you've got to be realistic in the things that you'd like to do with that newfound time. Um, but you mustn't, mustn't lose perspective on things. So be, be realistic in what mm. you're going to do to f- fill the time. But I'm a big one on people learning new things. You know, I think that's really healthy to mm. do um, and helping others. Mm. You know, I think those two things can fill up some time, definitely. Are there positives from a mental health perspective in terms of the separation and dealing with issues and so forth? Minimal. Uh, however, I think over time there can be. Hmm. Now, I don't know what that time is. I wish I did know the answer to that question. However, the thing I do know is that people can learn a lot about themselves hmm. to learn some new coping strategies, uh, to learn uh, or take on new experiences. Yeah, and that to me can be really positive in any human's development. Hmm. The difficulty is is the transition be- from when it's still so raw to, right, this is now going to be a positive step in my life. And everyone is different. And probably one of the hardest things is if we have a person who has some mental health challenges leading in, that process is much, much harder just to, to take anything out of it yeah so it depends on the person but no it can be can be good long term mm-hmm. i'd like to add to that i i get a particular joy in seeing the transition a mm. person will go through from the shattered human beings yeah. uh, that come to me at the start of the process com- um and then you know seeing the uh it's a it's a, 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 a an overused word, but the empowered individuals yeah. that c- come out at the end, mm. that, that coping skills, the ability to live for themselves again. So many people become subsumed in the relationship and lose their identity. Mm. Um, it's about finding themselves again. And I think that's an extremely positive thing for, mm. for um, people to achieve at the end of what is otherwise a fairly rigorous and and overwhelming process or can be oh yes yeah yeah and and i think that's right you that's probably one of the nice aspects to your work is that you do see people at the end of it as as i do as well yeah um and one of the the best experiences i have had is when i I met a person who went through a very very difficult separation and it was over a long period of time but to catch up with them six years down the track 
and to see just how happy they are. Mm. Yeah, and that, that was really good. Mm. Something I'd like to say as well is that um, people who are going through a separation or divorce um, and who may have ill health to the extent that they feel they can't help themselves, mm. there is a legal process that can assist them, and that is where um, a, a litigation guardian or a next friend can run their matter for them, mm. a trusted person yep. can run their matter for them. Mm. So it's kind of a vicious circle or cycle. They need to get out of the, mm. the relationship, but they're not well enough to get out of it. So there is that legal process to help them as well. Mm-hmm. And that's often why people do enter into a divorce process with mental health difficulties because the relationship that they're in has basically caused their mental health mm. to deteriorate. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, thank you both for your time. Tim, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how do they, how do they get in touch? Oh, look, you can always give my office a call, which is 82691818, or just go via my website. www.tdpsych.com or just Google me Mm -hmm. or via the office here at TGB. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Surviving Separation, a podcast brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Make sure you subscribe to the show and for the latest podcast updates and news, visit tgb.com.au forward slash podcasts. Tyndall Gask Bentley is one of Australia's largest and most respected family law firms. To arrange an appointment, contact the TGB team or read blogs and content, visit tgb.com.au. Please be aware that the discussions on this podcast are general in nature, true at the time of recording and should not be considered legal advice. If you are facing a legal issue, seek advice from a lawyer specific to your circumstances.